0: Hey, DevHops listeners, just a quick tip that we're starting this week's show with. If you're already familiar with the show, what it's about, who we are, who our guests are, and you'd like to skip right to the meat of the show, you can. Go ahead and skip to about 3 minutes and 30 seconds. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Welcome to DevOps, the podcast where ideas about enterprise software development and testing flow freely. I'm your host, Noel Wurst, the Editor-in-Chief of the SkyTap blog. Just a little housekeeping, all ideas expressed here are those of our guests and not necessarily that of SkyTap or the employers of our guests. Today we are joined by our regular co-host, Jason English, SkyTap's Galactic Head of Product Marketing. And joining us today is Wayne Ariola, Chief Strategy Officer at Parasoft. Parasoft is a technology alliance partner of ours, and Wayne is an awesome expert on the costs, challenges, and benefits of enterprise software quality. So we thought for today we would talk about continuous testing, what it means, what it requires, and what it delivers to the business. We're also reviewing three beers during today's show, since we do call it DevHops. Uh, we're just about to crack those open, so let's get started. Thank you for joining us. So, what is everybody drinking today? I will, uh, I will get started. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Abita, out of Louisiana. Um, they are the makers of Turbo Dog and Purple Haze, which have been. Uh, Go to's of mine for years, and then just yesterday I noticed they've got an IPA out now. Their wrought iron IPA, named after all of the fancy wrought iron there in, in New Orleans. So I have I have not even had a sip of it yet, but I am looking forward to trying it. So uh, Jason, or, or actually Wayne, you want to go next with what you have?
1: Sure. I, you know, I hate to do this to you guys, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to be so hipster in my selection. <laughs> That's just fine. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually drinking Beck's, uh, and for a couple reasons. First of all, my son is named Beck. Nice. And uh, so my, my household is filled with uh, his, his nomenclature uh, throughout my refrigerator. Uh, the other thing I like about it though is it's a crisp, good summer beer. And I, you know I know everyone wants to go these uh, these uh, nice micro brews, and I love them too. But for like a good, clean, refreshing, ice cold drink, I, I I have
2: to like Bex. I love it.
0: Nice. I need to I need to revisit Beck's. I have not had one in a, a
2: long time. I- Jason, how about you? Well, right now I'm going with whatever is in the SkyTap keg, and that is currently Manny's from Georgetown Brewing in Seattle here. Um, and that's basically an unfiltered kind of pale ale, uh, and it's you know kind of middle of the road. It's, sort of, it's a semi-commercial beer in that it's probably owned by a large brewery now, and you find it all over the place. But, you know, it's a little... A little higher than a Coors Light, I'd say for sure. Right. Cool. So we can uh,
0: we can dive right in. I'm <clears throat> excited about this one today. I wanted to talk about continuous testing, probably get into service virtualization a little bit as well, and to kind of talk about how quality and speed. I thought of this earlier, are, are really no longer in a uh, host-parasite relationship, and that to get one, you don't have to back off of the other and... I would say you really can't even afford to uh, to back off the, the other. They're, they're both, uh, I would say, equally important. Um, chose this topic just because there's been a lot of recent coverage of the uh, quality failures from uh, some recent airlines, and the stock exchange, I think, was the last big one. Um, I believe there's a current uh, ISP uh, right now that's experiencing a major outage as well, and quality is making a lot of headlines. So going back to continuous testing, I always like to kind of start these off with kind of a getting a base definition. Uh, <clears throat> Wayne, I know Parasoft speaks to this a lot. I was curious if you would kind of give your definition of continuous testing and kind of think about maybe just how continuous are we are we, are we we talking about here?
1: Yeah. So, you know, some people, if you take the idea of automated, I, I do a lot of talks on moving from automated to continuous. And, <clears throat> and the main topic here is bridging the business expectation associated with risk. So, for example, today, and you mentioned it when you when you started the discussion, is speed is of the essence. So if you're going to get differentiable uh, business software out to your consuming public as fast as possible, uh, your business managers must be extraordinarily curious about what is that risk uh, or what does that release candidate pose in terms of business risk uh, if it goes live and it happens to go down. today. I would say you know, when I'm visiting clients, uh, this is our gap. So they have nice, good automated testing, but the automated testing doesn't necessarily point out what are those business conditions that you would like to know in order to make a business trade-off decision whether that release candidate goes or not. Um, given the automated tests that are happening today, you know, quite honestly, it runs, the battery runs, it's through some sort of CI process, and quite honestly, that application is probably going like it or not. Today, if we want to get to a mode of continuous testing, we've got to start answering business questions. And those are the same business questions that, quite honestly, your auditors who are are managing your financial statements should be asking, right? We're at the point in time in which your business application, which is the interface to your business, if that goes down, there's true, defined, palpable business risks. So before that release candidate actually gets to a point of go live, We've got to understand what what better, uh, you know, in very distinct quantitative terms, what risk does that potential release candidate pose. Continuous testing is the vehicle to get there.
2: Yeah, I think that's a that is a great point, Wayne. And you know, I've kind of uh, mellowed out in the years of my definition of continuous testing, and I really think that there's. It is less about throwing – it's not even throwing more tests or even more people at it, right? Um, there has to be a capacity for those people to continuously test. And it's like if this is able to, if – they're able to do this in parallel as these items are, are, are becoming release candidates and about to be shipped – the ability has to be there for them to see. You know what's the difference between the as-is state and the and the what-if. And I put this out. And do I have clarity into what the consequence is going to be when this happens? And so it's it kind of it is kind of extending what you're you're saying. Definitely with with a uh, continuous testing. Do I know what the actual risk is? And do I have the capacity to see in a clear way what's going to happen when this comes out? And that's that really is the whole that's the whole universe of continuous testing to me. But, you know, I think this is definitely where we're going.
1: Yeah, by the way, I love the, the usage of the term consequence. Um, and I don't think it's being used enough. Because if you unravel it, what it means is that there is some layer of penalty or some um, you know, you know, some level of, of, of pain associated with having to correct the situation, number one, which is, that's what we traditionally talk about in testing know what the cost is to correct it. But that's no longer the biggest biggest issue. The biggest issue now is what is the true consequence to the business itself when that app goes down. So I, I love that, that concept of, of consequence. Mm-hmm.
0: So what's really driving the, the the need for this? I mean obviously it's a it's a great idea, but I was just kind of curious as to if it's is it is it to be able to maintain the level of quality that your software hopefully already has? Is it because the level of quality and you know, especially in the enterprise and today is it's insufficient and this is something to, to get it where it needs to be? Is it a response to, you know, business demands? Uh, I've got a list of possibilities here. I'll probably stop there just because I'm sure there's a number of reasons. But, but overall, just kind of curious as to uh, basically what's the primary driver of, of the need for this? Uh,
2: in this one, i just say, you know, it, from my perspective, I just see it as speed kills, right? I mean, the business is, is incenting development teams to release software faster than they're able to actually validate it, right? And this is, it's, they're driven by competition. They know if they don't come out with this feature before the other company that they're going to lose in the marketplace, they're going to lose market share. And that is driving everything. And that's the mentality that drives much of development itself, as opposed to, you know, like we talked about, the consequences. So in a short thing, I would just say it's this, speed kills, and that's what's driving continuous testing. Yeah.
1: You know, so I'd also say, um, you know, what we're facing today is that all organizations have been faced with this idea, and Noel, you mentioned it at the beginning of the conversation, is that, uh, you know, there's no longer a trade-off between speed and quality. Yet, uh, when you really press the conversation, you know, speed matters. Yeah. uh, i always use the analogy is you know if you're going over a speed bump at five miles an hour you know what not so bad but if you're going over a speed bump at 50 miles an hour you know what you're going to feel the effect of that and and that's where we are today well, we want this level of acceleration yes the yet the process hurdles that are currently there on those speed bumps that are currently in the road um are going to hit us in a, in a much more impactful manner. Now, there's also, in, in terms of what's driving this, there's unfortunately a ton of history associated with quality and test. Uh, and you can go through a litany of, of psychological or uh, sociological issues associated with you know, what's going on in the, in, in the realm of testing. Be it the you know, QA was considered the bottom rung, uh, you know, be it the malleable nature of software has allowed us to defer, you know, work uh, in terms of creating really, you know, quality software up front, you know, the whole technical debt argument. Um, but, you know, essentially what's, what's going on is our level of expectation from the business perspective is changing. Uh, and, and I've done some research on, on this to, to, to try to prove it out. So, you know, and I don't know if you guys, uh, I, I use the CNN app on my mobile phone every now and then. And it's remarkable to me the number of times that I get actual uh, news uh, uh, notifications about software outages. So, it happened, you know, when United Airlines went down, and what happened when when American Airlines went down uh, a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago with United. <coughs> and what I do is I essentially look at what's the impact of the stock price associated with that event. And uh, in last year, in 2014, the net impact of, of market share loss associated with news announcements was equated to about three, a negative 3.75% loss of market capitalization. So, you know, you're, 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 you did a new release of your software, the software failed, it hit the news, and basically your stock price declined 3.75%. Now, I could tell you um, if you ask that development manager, I mean, this is more anecdotal, but I'm assuming if you ask that development manager uh, just prior to the release saying, hey, uh, what's the risk of us losing 3.75% of our market share uh, with this yeah. code release? They would say zero, nothing. What are, you, what are you talking about, right? <laughs> so, number one, there is a the world is coming to terms with the fact that faulty software equals faulty business. Now the interesting thing about 2014 versus 2015 is that penalty associated with loss of market share has been increasing. So right now we're on track for a negative 4.12 loss of, of market capitalization every time that, that uh, news of faulty software hits, hits the wire. So um, I think it's just pointing to the fact that the market is becoming, or the world is becoming much, much more aware that software failure equals business failure. Yeah.
0: So, so another thing I wanted to, to ask today was, uh, Wayne, there was a recent uh, webinar that you were a part of uh, along with Alaska Airlines. And the, uh, the, the QA lead there, QA manager from Alaska Airlines, he, uh, I think it was you that asked him what the hardest part about getting things like, uh, continuous testing and, and service virtualization, which we'll, we'll get to here in just a bit, getting those off the ground. I mean, I think we've established today that these are very much in need to avoid these uh, you know huge losses uh, that can occur. But at the same time, he said that building trust was the hardest part of getting it off the ground, which I thought was really interesting because it seems like once you establish that these are uh, needed, necessary, and, and, and good ideas to, to begin doing right now. There's still a level of trust that has to be uh, tackled, and there wasn't too much time to get into that <clears throat> there towards the end of that webinar, but I, I wanted to know what, what maybe some of the challenges are inside of that. Why would it be difficult to to get people to trust that these are the ways to start doing things?
1: So, um, as we know with large organizations, change is always a, a, a science of change mm-hmm. is critical. Um, and you know, I think we're at a true inflection point when it comes to the SDLC. I mean, there's no doubt about it, right? Um, you know, things like the cloud, uh, which seems that we've been talking about forever, are becoming much, much, much more of a excuse me, a reality. Um, things like uh, iterative uh, uh, delivery and continuous delivery, uh, or continuous release of applications, are becoming much, much more of a reality. So what's going on is that the outcomes and the vehicles to achieve those, those software outcomes are becoming much, much more real. But internally, we haven't necessarily changed our processes um, when it comes to testing. Uh, you know We've looked for more automation, uh, which hasn't necessarily done much to improve the overall quality of the application. Um, so there needs to be really... A true process reorganization when it comes to actual software quality, uh, and and when you talk about those levels or or the things that we need to be doing differently, uh, and the concept of change, we, we're at a massive skill mismatch um, for your traditional organization. So the idea of trust moving from you know some of those more monolithic large uh, traditional quality infrastructure tools. Towards moving into this with much much more agility, uh, and you know, from my opinion, uh, you know, we're, we're missing one major component. Uh, you know, for example, is you know, from a process perspective, we've spent from a quality software quality perspective, ninety percent of our efforts looking at quality from bottom up, meaning that we have a requirement, the requirement introduces a level of change. I'm going to build a test that's going to exercise the application from the bottom up to validate aid the func- that the, the requirement is met and potentially potentially i'm going to be able to measure the impact of change uh to the overarching application <clears throat> is that approach needed or well, absolutely yes but we're spending far too much time on it what needs to be balanced is more of this top-down approach to validate more automatically that our user experiences, the user experience or the end user experience, is not going to be impacted by the changing application. Hmm. And this is is where the tie back in Jason's comment about the consequence of change, uh, this is where this concept really starts to play as we more automatically validate the risk of that release candidate top down um, as it moves through the cycle. Uh, so, you know, when we're looking at this and you're talking about trust, uh, you know, it's kind of letting go of the old in order to try to you know, taste test some of this new stuff. Yeah. And, and and it's just going to take time.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, in one sense, it's like asking people to, you know, it's you're asking them to believe in something that kind of flies in the face of everything that they had conventionally done. Right. So. It, it's it's kind of like a, a trust exercise, like you're walking on fire. And if you believe it that it's not going to hurt you, then it won't, right? Um, but it's it's beyond that. In that um, using a using service virtualization or something like that to replace those constraints or simulate them away is really a great a great way to um, basically have everything you need and have it in a more predictable fashion and you can actually have all of the scenarios and all of the data that you need um, to to validate the outside boundary conditions of what could happen as a consequence you know of your testing so it goes hand in hand like if they could if they could just believe that when I'm starting a project they're not just like where are my servers right give me some hardware and give me the applications it's just it's not even necessary anymore because this uh, Using things like service virtualization, using cloud infrastructure, which they also didn't believe we could do at this scale, which we are doing now, um, you, you have all this kind of very unconstrained elastic ability that, to build up these processes in parallel and have a much more consistent, stable environment when you think about it. It's just It does seem like it takes a leap of faith, but it's possible to get teams, once they've gone through the process once, to trust it.
1: Yeah, and then you and you can you can actually measure, uh, you know, from a simulation perspective accuracy, you know, versus the operational environment, you know, to, to give people the confidence. So it's there. You're absolutely right. Uh, and I think it's it's you know, if you look at almost almost I say every other industry in the world as they've evolved the concept of quality within their domain, simulation becomes a massive component of being able to do this stuff earlier and more completely. Uh, it's been in software because we've always used this concept of you know it's too complex to shy away from doing much more deep uh, you know simulation you know the type of simulation that service virtualization provides but you know the idea of trust I think goes out the windows because no matter what we can back that trust component up with actual data to to ensure uh, the the end user or the tester. Or the manager that that simulated environment is is really really very parallel to the to the operational conditions which they're probably not getting in the stage test environment in the first place
0: right so getting to kind of shifting left and service virtualization two areas uh, along with continuous testing that Skytap and Parasoft are both uh, uh, talk about frequently <clears throat> kind of like um, that trust thing we were just talking about I, I was imagining that a uh, that that by introducing things like this, you are creating those uh, earlier opportunities to test where I can see where some might wonder how this would be done, something like con- continuous testing, uh, when, when maybe there's been certain components that they have never had access to at that early uh, of a stage in the SDLC. Um, Wayne, could you kind of go into a little bit as far as how service virtualization kind of creates those opportunities that people may not have ever even been able to imagine having access to at all, uh, much less as early as you now can?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first great barrier, and I, and I know Jason probably experienced this as well, is um, it's one, what's the AU U two? What is the definition of the application under test? And many, many folks, when you start talking about being able to bridge or do end-to-end testing, don't necessarily break out of the paradigm of the geopolitically accessible single application stack. That is basically going through its upgrade or going through its its iteration or its release. Um, we we did a a survey a couple of years ago that we continued to um, we began it a couple of years ago and continue to take collect collect data on. Um, so for a particular or a single application under test for global two thousand organizations, we did a survey, and folks came back and said, on average, a single application under test has on average. 30 dependencies, meaning 30 other applications in which it's dependent upon in order to complete its business transaction or its transaction flow. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Then we ask the question of those dependencies, of those 30 applications on average, you know, what do you have access to in a staged test environment? And the answer came back as six. So six out of those 30 dependencies Folks had access to in, on average, in a staged test environment. This meant that 24 application or transaction hops were either a being, uh, you know, being stubbed out, uh, or b just not being tested. And by the way, b was overwhelmingly the the response there. they just ignore it and it's not being tested. Which, Ouch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, from a, yeah, you know, I mean, talk about a risk, right? I mean, you're kind of letting it fly and uh, sending it out there and and uh you know i wanted to ask a follow-up question is roll back a strategy for you guys uh but uh, never thought that far because it would have been too complex but <laughs> you really really have situations there where you there's a significant exposure risk so you know from the perspective of continuous testing the first concept is what is the total system under test that you need to have uh, a great purview of now i, I don't mean to you know, rag on or necessarily take a shot here at, at, at uh, technologists in our field. But, you know, 90% of the time when we go in and we help people with the concept of service virtualization, when we paint out the system under test for the first time, meaning layout from the perspective of the AUT or the application under test, all its dependencies uh, and visualize that for them, it's really the first time they've really understood the total dependency reach associated with the application they're working on. Mm. So, the first barrier we face moving to continuous testing is understanding the application reach or the total system under test.
2: When we talk about shifting left, we also want to look at um, how much time you're actually spending on creating, you know, creating duplicate infrastructure, creating different. Creating your own tools, basically, or coding your own tools, or doing things that have nothing to do with the actual uh, value that I'm delivering into the product. So, am I del- am I actually coding the new feature, or am I creating more tools in order to test the new feature? Right. Right. Am I am I actually testing this business functionality, or am I maintaining a bunch of scripts to test the business functionality? Right. And what happens when the you know, when the volume of code that that exists in this test base is as high as the amount that's in, in um, the application itself, right? You're, you're creating, you're basically creating more work for yourself. And so, what we need to do is eliminate that redundancy, right? And that's why, you know, if you decouple things using, uh, you know, service virtualization, using uh, better methods of test data management, and then using a cloud environment where you can basically um, each each team has this can stamp out their own environment. And they're not spending time setting up infrastructure, writing scripts to do so, or requesting it from IT. Right? We want to just every time you see the lead time getting uh, that we've taken for granted, getting put into our software lifecycle. Let's just let's focus on that, and then that way, you know, how much time can we spend that actually delivers value to the business? And you know, if everybody could think that way um, all the time, I think they would probably identify this earlier as a, as a problem, right? I value my time. I want it to be delivering something to the bottom line of the business and that's what it's about.
1: Yeah and, and that's not even talking to the level of consistency. As you mentioned, um, you know one group uh, one developer set of scripts to potentially carve out a, a test from an application from an application stack, doesn't necessarily equal the same set of scripts on the other guy's desktop that they're not sharing. So this level of complexity and the lack of consistency associated with how you're exercising that application, you know, the complexity goes through the roof. That's a great concept of uh, when the code to test uh, eclipses the actual application set itself. That's interesting.
0: Well, that is all the questions that I had for today. One um, plug that I want to throw out there is that uh, on Thursday, August 20th, from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, 11 to 12 p.m. Pacific, uh, both Parasoft and SkyTap are are teaming up together uh, for a webinar titled Why Testers Can't Test, Part 2, uh, Development and Test Environments in the Cloud. Uh, We'll have a link to, uh, to register for that. Uh, topic here on this podcast and, and sharing on social media as well. So for anyone listening, uh, before the twentieth, uh, definitely recommend registering for that to hear a, a little bit deeper dive. Uh, probably get a lot more technical uh, as far on that webinar there. So let's do a quick beer recap before we sign off for the day. Uh, I'm pretty much through this uh, Abita Wrought Iron IPA. It was it was pretty good. Um, so I, I heard someone describe uh, not liking IPAs. Uh, earlier this weekend because they felt like each one was like its own meal and that after two or three they just felt uh, incredibly uh, weighted down and this one's a lot less heavy. Uh, I can see drinking these in the sun in, in Louisiana you probably don't need something that's gonna just uh, completely floor you that quickly so yeah it's, it's a little bit a little bit lighter than the uh, than the ones I've had in the past so Wayne how is the, uh, is the is the Bex holding its own this summer as compared to summer's past?
1: It really is, and uh, not only uh, due to the name being the name of my son, yes. but you know, I, I got the I got the one point six fluid ounces uh, bottle. Nice. And I got to admit, it's you know, it's a it's a nice warm up uh, uh, right before going to lunch. So right, uh, exactly. I gotta I gotta figure, I gotta figure out a little nap time now.
2: Right. And Jason, yeah, that's I like the thing with, Yeah, with us being on the on the Pacific Coast now, yes, you have a. It's kind of weird to be drinking before lunch, um, but. Uh, the Manny's kind of, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had to bring in. I had to bring in one that was like, you know, uh, I, it's it's just sort of. Uh, it gives me the feeling of, you know, when you go into a bar and it's it's like, the morning after, and it, I kind of get that feeling just from from it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well.
1: Well, it, it really depends on your state. That might be a good thing, depending on what your <laughs> what your evening was like.
2: So uh, right. maybe it's an improvement. <laughs> it's about shifting left and understanding the consequences ahead
0: of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. And if you are listening to this earlier than Thursday, August 20th, make sure and sign up for Why Testers Can't Test Part 2 development and test environments in the cloud and even if you're listening after the 20th we'll be sure and make the webinar available uh, for your on-demand listening just as we do these podcasts so thanks again so much to everyone for joining us today and have a good one well that is all for this week's edition of dev hops special thanks to wayne areola and parasoft for joining us if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed, or even if you'd like to participate in a future episode yourself, let us know. We'd love to have you. And if you enjoyed this content, I invite you to follow our blog at skytap.com blog for more commentary on software development, testing, cloud, DevOps, and more. Until next time, keep your head in the clouds and your DevOps fresh. I'm Noel Wurst for SkyTap.